Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Hello, folks. Welcome back. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. I'm your co-host, Joe Liu, and I'm here with my co-host, Pastor Lydia, who's the pastor of Transformation, co-founder of 180 Church, and wife to Dr. Sammy. And as we all know, um, and it's all over our headlines and regarding the social and racial unrest that's facing our country and the world today, um, I think a lot of our attention has been turned towards what we can do and who we can be to be a part of the solution to this problem that we face. And I think Dr. Sammy's message for this week was very poignant in that it asks us, asks us as a church and asks us as believers, how we can be a community of healing in the face of these injustices and in the face of model and in light of modeling Christ-like humility in such a way that we can, you know, add to the value of the people around us. And so Without further ado, here's Dr. Sammy. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. In 1963, Dr. King, on the steps of Lincoln Memorial, gave his iconic I Have a Dream speech, addressing the ever-growing and widening inequities of civil and economic opportunity and rights black Americans been facing. Exactly 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation declared by Abraham Lincoln. Dr. King is quoted saying, it may be that the Negro is God's instrument to save the soul of America. 57 years since, I have a dream speech in iconic Lincoln Memorial. We are still very much fighting for the soul of America. And that is exactly what the spirit begins to stir and forge in the fire of Pentecost. The church is forever changed from monolithic to polyethic, from one language to multiple, from one nation to all nations. You see, from the very beginning The heart of God was racial reconciliation by fire. And that's the question we want to answer today. How can we fulfill God's original vision for the church to become a community of healing for such a broken, divided, and fractured world? Because the local church still, like it was then and there, and here and now, is the hope. It's the mechanism in which God has chosen to be its instrument. We're still fighting for the soul of America, and 
the nations. And the gospel still is the answer. So how can we fulfill that vision? Let's go to this text, come back, and learn how we can begin to join the revolution of change and be the hope the world so desperately needs today. Hey everyone. So today's scripture is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is the word of the Lord. Bye, guys. In the very beginning, we asked, how can the church fulfill its original vision? God's vision to become a community of healing for a world so divided and fractured. Well, if we want to know what brings healing, a bomb massaging the wounds of America, first we have to know that where hope doesn't lie. And the first lesson we learn in this passage is that even a perfect system, we need to understand even a perfect system cannot overcome the dystopia in the human heart. You see, if you read verse 42 to 46, and you skim it in a, in a really rather quick pace, you might assume that you could create utopia, right? It says that all believers were together in verse 44 and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give everyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together. It seems like an episode in Friends or How I, How I Met Your Mother, this community, this utopian community that is actually lodged in the human heart. And we say, you see, it seems that you could, if you were to advocate a political philosophy like Marxist philosophy of communism, that the church eerily resembles that philosophy. And maybe the neo-Marx movement is right, wrong. The early church were not neo-Marxist, they were realist. This community was forged by fire, not the idea of utopia. They were not naive. From the very beginning of this chapter, we see that they came together because of their sins, right? Remember verse 38. They came toward repentance. The community was shaped knowing that dystopia and sin was lodged deeply into their hearts. And they were seduced by self-interest. But they came through the cross. That's key to understand. They were not Marxist, but realist. Even a perfect system 
cannot overcome the sin, the original sin lodged in the human heart. And that's the problem with creating systems. There is no perfect system that we could actually come up with, even if you could. The whole point is, you would ruin it because you're imperfect. Tell someone next to you, you would ruin it. I can come up with the perfect plan, but someone would ruin it. Why? Because as Einstein said famously, there are two things that are infinite. First, one is the universe, and second is human, stupid, human stupidity. <laughs> and then he said, I'm not quite sure about the former. Yeah, there is no end to human stupidity, limitations, and sinfulness. The smartest man ever created the weapon that could wipe us out, that could make us extinct on this planet. So he was right. And then you say, well, how, then how come, if the church is supposed to be a community of healing, why has it made such little progress, especially here in the States? The church, 75% Christian in the United States since 2015, the affiliation is quite there and clear. Well, that's the whole point. The whole point is, we're sinners. The early church was forged in the fire of humility. Pentecost brought everyone down on their knees. And our model has never been saints saved by works. For the last 2,000 years, the church model has been sinners saved by grace. We have fallen short, and many times we will still fall short. And Jesus has given us the perfect example, and he's the perfect God. He is perfect in every way, immutable in his goodness, faithfulness. But we're not God. We're being sanctified. We're being changed. We're sinners saved by grace. So our progress is slow. So don't trip. God is still working on you and us. And, and that's why, first, we have to understand that if we're going to come up with how to heal the world, we, we need to understand that human ingenuity is not the way. It's not that we don't have enough smart people. Or we haven't come up with the perfect economic plan. Communism has shown us all throughout history that when you try to create a utopia apart from God, you get dystopia. That's empirically just fact. So this community was not trying to create utopia. They were not neo-Marxists. They were what? Realist. So... If we want to heal the world, we need to understand that we're the problem. Tell someone next to you, you're the problem. Your self-interest, my self-interest, we're the problem. And Jesus helps us, before even corporately, in an individual arena and domain, own our self-interest, limit it, contain it, and then work toward better. That's why the church is the hope of the world. The church is a community of sinners, not morally whole, but sick, being redeemed, 
being changed. <sighs> this week, my longtime mentor, Dr. Layton Ford, uh, was featured on CT Magazine, and I want to share with you what they said about racial strife. And he's quoted in 1951 on CT at a Luzon gathering in Minneapolis. Can you imagine that? He told me by text that when I showed him this, he didn't even know. He said that this speech was given in Minneapolis where George Floyd was unjustly murdered. And he said this, if we do not seek to heal the gaping, rubbed, raw wounds of racial strife, then we deserve the fire next time. It is to the shame of the Christian church that we have been so slow to face the demands of the gospel in the racial revolution. And Leighton told me this week, with a, a disappointed and grieving heart, because my generation has failed. Maybe your generation can prevail. That's sobering when I heard that. Dr. King said in the steps of Lincoln Memorial and, and throughout the civil rights movement that God has chosen the Negro to save the soul of America. I believe that's true. Racial inequity shows us all about the dystopia lodged in the human heart. So before pointing fingers, before being angry, before inventing, before even protesting for those who are not African Americans, please look within yourself and, and see and examine. Let the Holy Spirit come now and examine your area of self-interest, how we might be contributing to this inequality, how our prejudice and how our sinful dystopian parts of our hearts are creating an in, un inequitable world for the rest of the world. Because if you want to be the hope, you need to understand you're part of the problem. We're part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. And I want to repent today and have the Holy Spirit by fire forge and stir in me a heart for justice. Even though I might fall. Remember, not saints saved by works, but sinners saved by grace. I pray the Spirit will show you right now, convict you, scan you, and change you. question in the very beginning, how can we fulfill God's original vision to become a community of healing for such a divided and fractured world? Second, we said we need to understand that not even a perfect system can overcome the dystopia lodged in the human heart. Second, we can become a community of healing through modeling Christ-like humility. See, Jesus is different from the political systems and the world economic powers 
and the global powers that has ruled this planet for the last millennia. Jesus conquered through humility, meekness, and love. He modeled something so beautiful. It started a revolution, which really is the starting place of all type of civil rights, from the Roman world to the Western world. The question I ask when I read Acts 2 is how, what made this polylithic, multilingual, diverse group of people from different places and different faces model such unity, magnanimity, and hospitality? And the answer is one word. And it was the same answer. 2,000 years ago, then and there, it was the same answer today. The cross. Last week we said the cross is the greatest equalizer. In Pentecost, the fire burns. Worldly power, worldly status, and brings all merit to its knees. Every, in fact, everyone who comes to the ecclesia, to this church, the early church, must come on its knees. And that's everyone. And Paul talks about that in various places in the New Testament. There's no Greek or Jew or slave or free, male, female. The distinctiveness, your uniqueness that differentiates you and gives you power is stripped just like Jesus was stripped of everything on the cross by his own volition through kenosis. And the secret sauce is very basic. When we come to the cross, we come to our Father. And just like the word acronym for basic, we all become brothers and sisters in Christ. Wow. Those of us from different nations, different interests, different traditions. Yes, the diversity is not absolved. But we find unity even apart from uniformity. The cross humbles us, all of us. When we face the face of mercy, we must fall down. Last week we said that we cannot love others who we think need Jesus more than us, meaning we think they're greater sinners. No, the cross humbles us because we see the dystopia lodged within our heart, the darkness in us, and we begin to use that metric on others. They need grace, so do we. That's why Jesus said, if you do not forgive, I won't forgive you in the New Testament very clearly. So this is how the economic disparity was eliminated in the early church. Not through what many people would assume it was in Marxist, it was, they were realist. And it's very important to understand why and how they accomplished this magnanimity modeled in this unity. All, in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold, and pro they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You see, no one was cohorsed to give. We've seen very clearly in the history of this country and the world that you can't legislate magnanimity. You can't even legislate mendacity, right? There are 410 shootings 
last year and counting. Even if you outlaw something, it doesn't mean you can dislodge the sinful dystopian part of the human spirit. It has to be redeemed. It can't be eradicated. And you, and you, can, you can't make it a law for someone to give more than their taxes. No. That's why charities are, and nonprofits are given exempt status to incentivize giving. But we can't coerce giving. And what you see in the New Testament is that this humility eliminates social status in the church. The church modeled for the first time rich and poor, vulnerable and powerful, coming together under one roof, eating together, breaking bread. That's a powerful and in Greek word kononia, there's a fellowship that has never been like this church. The greatest community of all time, equalized by the cross. Whoa! That is mind-blowing. That is still the hope of the world, folks. That is still the truth. So they weren't Marxist, they were realist. And the most amazing thing about this community is that the greatest equalizer, the common denominator, was their sinfulness, and that they were all redeemed by the cross, which made them basically brothers and sisters in Christ. They became a family. The most powerful thing I witnessed last week was watching pictures of my friends posting in a protest in Miami, police officers kneeling and asking for forgiveness. You know, I never even thought of that. Because we see and we stereotype people into groups. That's tribal politics and, and really dangerous. Making people and rooting their identity in part of their tribes or groups. No, people are people. Yes, everyone is a sinner. But when those police officers knelt and asked for forgiveness, you saw what broke. The protesters weren't angry. They were crying and praying together. You know what I felt from the moment George Floyd said, I can't breathe, which was dystopian and dark. I couldn't breathe this time either, but not out of despair, but hope. Humility, folks, that Christ demonstrated on the cross is still the answer to heal this fractured world. We're divided by pride, we're divided by ego, we're divided by self-interest, and when we come to the cross, it is burned by fire. It started in Pentecost and that fire is still burning today. And I pray that you would enter that furnace today. Let the Spirit of God come and begin in us. And I pray, as my mentor Layton told me this week, although my generation failed, to reconcile racial strife, and the fracture wounds of our African-American brothers and sisters, maybe you can prevail. I hope that 50 years from now, I wouldn't have to tell that to someone I'm mentoring. I hope that we've made this world better by the power of the love of God and Christ-like humility. Admitting our wrongs, having in common, 
and allowing the love of God to transform our world. That is still true today. So right wherever you might be right now, as we close our service today, will you lift your hands to the Lord and say, choose me, use me, mold me, Lord, and change me. Let me be the voice of hope, the model of Christ's humility to my generation, starting with me, examining my own self-interest and sin, and as I raise my children, showing them the greatest equalizer, the cross, and allowing the love of the gospel to transform the world. We must, we can, we will. Let's make this song our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. First, I want to welcome everybody back to our broadcast, and also, I think there there was obviously so much going on around us culturally and socially that I think, you know, this sermon and the timeliness of this sermon addressing those things has been uh, really helpful for me in terms of making sense of the, like, in, like the reflections and introspection I've been having in regards to those things. And like one of the takeaways that I got, not to just go like right into it, but you know, I think it's like, mm-hmm. uh, not much needs to be said about just kind of like the gravity of what's going on around us. And like, you know, that, that lead, that kind of led me to a place where I was thinking a lot about the way in which I see myself in like how I conduct myself in this world. And like, I guess it, it really brought a lot of questions and uh, thoughts about who I am. And like, I guess like in what ways, and I'm sure a lot of people are also thinking about it, but in what ways that are we, or am I contributing or playing a role in what the things that are going around us? Right. And I think that could kind of like, that kind of was a very confusing question for me. But one thing that I took away a lot from this sermon, and I guess the series also is like the ways in which that we can always bring our reflections back to the cross and the ways in which the, these reflections always kind of lead us back to the things that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Because at the end of the day, um if we are to be agents of change or if, the way i think about it a lot is like if i want to be an agent of change um i know that the way in which i can see it being possible or done is through partnership with the holy spirit and the ways that the holy spirit works in my life and around us so um i guess i kind of just wanted to open up this conversation in regards to uh i guess we are continuing speaking about what the humility of Christ is in our lives and how this humility kind of brings on the change. And we are talking about like the real root of all this again, which is really about sin. But in this case, we're in particular examining these sins and reflecting on these sins to bring on repentance so that we can be individuals that, um, I guess can be a part of change for the better, if I'm understanding that correctly. Yeah, I think um, I'm with you on that. Um, I do. I wouldn't necessarily say the sense specifically because, <clears throat> yeah, the the fact that we are sinners saved by grace we don't 
And we could call it generally self-interest, but self-interest has so many different ways of expressing itself in sin that um, to call it the, these sins of, I'm not sure if that's what you're saying, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but to say we're addressing these sins of racism would would not be comprehensive to what the cross and the humility of Christ um, covers and speaks in us. Mm. Although that is the matter at hand culturally, what's happening, the civil rights movement that has been um, triggered and awakened um, by, you know, George Floyd's death. Um, But yes, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think it's like the times that we live in with the racial unrest and social unrest is sort of reflective of that same kind of, I guess, I guess, like, the heart of the redemption of the gospel, right? Because I think at the end of the day, what we're observing socially and culturally around us kind of brings on this avenue and pathway for in which we are led to think about ourselves and really reflect about our own sort of, um, I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, like our own sins, right? And like, I guess the ways in which we are contributing to whether, and it doesn't have to be specifically racism, but like, I guess the ways in which we are like not adding value to um, people around us or not, you know, adding to the beauty uh, of, you know, restoring things, uh, or restoring the beauty and all things. Sorry, <laughs> like I work on our own uh, mm-hmm. motto, but, uh, you know, I think that's that I think that's like sort of the air that I personally have been coming to, because I think like what ha- has been kind of going on around us has offered an opportunity for me to at least look inside and see the ways in which I'm being challenged by the things that are going on around me. But also with that challenge, making sense of the ways in which I guess the Holy Spirit or I I think I'm quite or relatively quite new at trying to tune myself to those things. But like, I guess the ways in which the spirit is addressing our or our or my place in regards to who he's shaping me to be or who he's shaping us to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's like what you said, you know, we want to add value in restoring the beauty in all things. And that comes starts at the cross and it's recognizing that we are all sinners and sinners saved by grace that we're not saints who do Mm. great things but sinners by grace having said that how can we add value it to an area where we're not aware of and i think that's what the racism that's being brought up and exposed you know in america i mean now i think at this point it's global as well but Mm. how can we add value where we didn't know that um our absence or ignorance would affect Mm. the people around us and if we were not even aware that our ignorance and absence would affect the people around us so i think that you know 
you know, in terms of speaking about the racism, it is the vision of God for black lives to matter because, you know, Sam talked about monolithic to polylithic, you know, it's mm-hmm. actually I have to do understand what that word was, but it's basically it out for those who might wonder what that means. It's not monotheism. We are monotheistic. We believe in one yeah. God, but you know, I know that uh, many of you will know what it means, but monolithic just means, um, built on one stone versus um, like architecture built coming from one stone or mm-hmm. just existing on one stone base. But polylithic means mosaic of many stones. So it's really an imagery of, you know, even how Christianity started, right? Um, how Christ followers started. Like it was a message to the Jews, but it also became a message to the Gentiles. Jesus came to save all mm. and and to the Samaritans. You know, Jews didn't like that very much, but it was a message to Samaritans. Jesus meets the woman at the well who was a Samaritan by those standards of, the, of that day, of those days, it would be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you going to that town? Like, why are you even speaking to that woman? Like the disciples didn't really like that because that was mm. very inconvenient for them. And they were prejudiced against Samaritans. But Jesus continues to show that it is about the mosaic of all people. And all lives don't matter until black lives matter because the black lives have been not just wounded, but murdered and injustice. Mm. And the progression of America and this issue is, it is slow. Like Layton said, it is slow. And like he said, he hopes that this generation will prevail. Mm. Like it kind of like the thought of that, I think for me, just speaking on, you know, on this, it really didn't sink in that this was reality until I think three years ago, even when, you know, you celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday and you honor him because, you know, he was so brave and you learn these ways of celebrating someone, but are you really celebrating? How do you know what you're celebrating unless you really know what he fought for? And I think for me, it didn't really occur to me what was really happening, you know? And I think just like Rodney King, the whole thing was filmed, him being beaten. And, you know, years later, George Floyd dying and his death being, it really sparked over time. Like, I cannot believe this is the USA. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, this is the land of the free. This is a, this is the most powerful nation. Uh, like, how, how can we still be so delayed in, <laughs> in seeing people in equality? Like, that we have to explain that Black Lives Matter and that all lives matter. All lives don't matter until Black Lives Matter. It's absurd, but mm. it is where we're at. And I think that the civil rights movement is so powerful that George Floyd didn't die in vain. Yeah. You know, that what his daughter on the, on, you know, on the shoulders of, I think their uncle or their friend saying, my dad changed the world is so true because it really sparked, um, a reality check and awareness that mm-hmm. we, a lot of us didn't have. I know I didn't. 
it didn't mm. occur to me that it was this serious. Like it never really occurred to me close to home that people of um, our African um, brothers and sisters fear whether their husbands or their sons or even their daughters or wives would come home alive or not make it home yeah. because of the skin color. That's absurd. This is the USA, but that's where we are. And for people, yeah, people rising up, speaking mm. up, educating themselves. I think that's really powerful movement. What's happening. Mm. And, but this is the vision of God. You know, the vision yeah. of God is that people would know that. Yeah. If all lives are going to matter, then well, black lives will have to matter, you know? Absolutely. And that about gospel is not prejudiced to class or race or status. Mm. So it is a vision of God. So I found this message really powerful in, in the midst of tension to bring the focal point of the gospel again, mm. that it's really the, only the cross could be the equalizer for all to examine and to re-examine that we are sinners saved by grace and that we need him and that we need the gospel in the world, mm. you know? So Absolutely. it's really going back to the basics, you know? This is not about doing good and justice and saying the right things and doing the right things because it's it seems like the right thing to do, but this is really understanding our sin and knowing that our Father's heart and that we fall short of it, and that by grace we're redeemed to live this life, mm. to actually model who Christ is, you know, in his fullness. So, yeah, that's yeah. kind of like my reflection and stance, I guess, as I was hearing this message in this time, you know. Yeah. Uh, and just to say, the, the person that was holding George Floyd's daughter is actually Stephen Jackson. He's a former NBA player. Um, yeah, so it was really cool. And like the thing I think about what I really liked about what Dr. Sammy was saying, uh, in the latter portion of the sermon was that at the end of the day, under the family tree of God the Father, we are all equalized as brothers and sisters through the commonality of sin and grace. Like our understanding of sin and grace at the end of the day is what kind of fortifies mm -hmm. our understanding of the sanctity of human life under the eyes of the father. And I think it's like, I think all the points that you raise and all of like, especially to the fact that like all lives can't matter if black lives aren't held to the same magnitude of mattering. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I think those all hold weight because I think in the eyes of the father at the end of the day, and like for us as believers to want to exemplify and re represent the love of the father and do it well without prejudice and without bias, you know, like Dr. Samuel was saying, um, equally, but without uniformity. Cause I think like, you know, that's, that's an obvious statement is that, you know, like our, like the violation of human life is kind of like the cornerstone of us preserving the beauty of the gospel amongst each other, right? Like we hold each other's lives what despite our differences to the same value under the eyes of the father right absolutely yes <laughs> yeah, I, well yeah cool. i guess girl. sorry that was just like a little 
Sorry, but I, I, oh, uh, I yeah, and I, I, um, I really, I'm afraid to be honest. I'm afraid to have this conversation, but at the same time, I think it's the most one of the most important conversations we can have because you know, obviously, um, for me, just personally, because you've also shared personally that like, you know, I, I'm kind of coming to a threshold of understanding that like, you know, having an apolitical stance on a lot of things doesn't really help in terms of like um supporting the black lives matter protest uh black lives matter movements and such like that and it's like after years of kind of holding the stance is kind of you know it's it's obvious that there is civil unrest in regards to race relations and things like that but at the same time i think this is i think what you and dr sammy are saying regarding this is one of the ways in which that i guess for us believers and followers of christ to really make sense of i guess the you know the ministry of reconciliation when it comes to what it means to you know represent christ even in these areas that might be uncomfortable and like you were saying even these areas that we're unaware of in regards to our sin like these these are the like this cultural moment kind of allows us insight into some of those places in our hearts that the Holy Spirit is trying to weave his work in so that we can, um, you know, be better stewards of the gospel at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that a lot of times if I think about it, you know, a lot of times like there is a fear of bringing on our faith into our lives and mm. a lot of times it gets separated and divorced from our own lives instead of inter integrating faith into our identity and who we are and what we do. Um, I think that happens a lot because, um, like you look at something like this, it's hard to know what it, it's easy to hear what people are saying, do this, do this, do that. But mm. as a follower of Christ, um, it's almost difficult for people to rise up as a Christian as if that is enough. Like the cost of Christ, loving as Christ, following the model of Christ's humility is enough when actually it is the only cornerstone um, that actually brings change, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess I just want to address that a little bit because I think that we're always fighting against the pressures of the world or, you know, the fear of not being understood. Mm -hmm. But I think this message brings it back that the, if the cross is not essential to us, like the very basic essential, um, equalizer, everything to us is if it is not our starting point of, of change, it's what Jesus says in John 15 that apart from me, you can't do anything. But I think as Christ followers, we often kind of give in to fears and fear of man and shame of the gospel mm. and actually kind of shy away and silence um, our Savior and our Lord and who he really is and how he represents us. But I think that the call to model the humility of Christ is also the call to integrate faith into who we are 
into mm. our action, into our lives and not divorce it. Because I think the human logic is, you know what, let me just be chill and, you know, make it seem like I'm, I'm, I don't know, I, I'm like not crazy. I'm not weird. And, you know, when the right time comes, like, boom, I'll like just kind of subtly place the gospel. But that is not a strategy, but I think it's almost like a self-preserving move of yeah. not putting, not really modeling the humility of Christ because the humility of Christ is not about this nice sweetness that he was willing to take a punch from everyone, you mm. know, and be out of his kindness, let people know that, you know, God is our father. It, it wasn't at all. He, he took violently died on the cross. So he went against culture so much that people hated him, you know? So the humility of Christ is really actionable and applicational change. It's not piety uh, or it's not nicety. And I think there is a confrontation to us as Christians to come to terms with even the parts of us that are ashamed of the gospel and actually don't represent well, mm. you know? It, it could almost seem in tribal thinking like, oh, let me represent the humility of Christ. Let me be the nicest person that I can be. But biblically, that's not what the Bible is talking about. The model and the humility of Christ is that he, out of his own volition, though he was a king, became a man. And that though he was sinless, that he died on the cross. That is the humility. It's actionable change that demonstrated the love of God that changed all of us who have been ex who have been who have encountered and experienced and accepted you know him as lord so i think there is a confrontation of christians to no longer divorce faith and myself but to integrate and to actually to become people of actionable change and to add value we have to do it with christ and, you know, John 15 says that, right? To remain in him and to abide in him. Um, apart from him, we can't do anything. Mm. So I think this notion of, and I think it brings it up, right? Because there is like, uh, there is unrest culturally. And there is almost the world is shouting out, do something, do something. Don't do that. Do this. There is a voice, but... If we're going to do something, it has to be because of what Christ has done in us. Like the more we understand that and act from the place of grace, I think more we can do is, mm. you know, so there is a confrontation of that to no longer divorce, but to integrate. Right. Right. I think that's a really good distinction that you make um, because you know, like, n not just the fact that I feel like I am, I do that. I, I feel victim to that all the time, as in, like, you know, it just kind of seems like it's like a strategic ploy. But at the end of the day, if you really think about mm -hmm. it, it, it is almost out of self-interest that you would kind of disguise your faith, even if it, like, even though, like, the call to faith and, like, the call to talk about the gospel is sort of the ways that we can combat some of the things that are going on around us, like the, it's, mm -hmm. it's almost, it's in our self-interest to like 
protect or not protect, but I guess preserve ourselves that mm-hmm. conflict and tension as opposed to really mm-hmm. engaging or like really putting aside our egos and our self-interest to engage in, in true and real life changing gospel work. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a fear of being, um, you know, categorized as, you know, extreme fanatic Christians, right? Yeah. But I think that's an outside voice. It's not necessarily a voice of caution or of wisdom of the spirit, but I think that's an outside voice that murmurs and mutters into our minds so that we, but you know what I'm talking about? There's this voice, like I think being in New York city and we talk about this a lot in our podcast, Mm. right? About evangelizing in New York city. It it is difficult because there is, uh, it's so polarized, especially with this administration. It's very polarized. Like if you're a Christian, you must be like a crazy evangelical, like, like these types of people, or maybe if you're a Democrat, maybe you're a liberal and you're not really mm. a Christian. But actually, you can be being a Christ follower. How does Sam say this? But, you know, whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, you know, we are all first lost and found daughters and sons of Christ. And I think we have to reclaim our identity uh, um, through the cross of mm. who we really are before Democrat, before Republican. You know, we're all sinners saved by grace. Like no one ever said we have everything correctly. We, you know, but I think there's this outside voice. Like I don't want to be categorized that because that might do injustice to the name of Christ. But I think because of that fear, we give into all these voices to matter so much sometimes or be relevant that we actually lose the cause, lose the moments. And I think if, our call is to restore the beauty of God in all things. And I think that even this matter of, you know, this racism still being so delayed and left back in its progress in the U.S. is it kind of reveals parts of us that where if it's not really in our face, we don't really like to dive into it, you know? If it doesn't really affect us, we're not gonna really violently dive into something that's, you know, inconvenient. And I think God is confronting us of that. Mm. I mean, not in an angry way or anything, but he's saying it's time to rise up in humility. And rising up in humility almost sounds, you know, what is that, paradoxical, but actually we have to rise up in the humility of Christ. In our own volition, we have to lay our lives down. Really means that we have to own our faith and represent in Christ's name. Mm. And all this other noise that we mostly pay attention to of what people will think, I think will become peripheral when the voice of Christ is heard and known because of the message of grace and how he is saving us and how he has saved us and redeemed us comes through you know because i think we focus so much on the peripheral sounds uh, we think that if we catch every bug or every mosquito outside that maybe we could have a good time and have a real conversation at the campfire but the truth is the mosquitoes will always come back they come from two miles away 
But if we could really focus and have the conversation we really need to have and really represent who Christ is and who he is and what he is doing in our lives at the forefront, I think that I think that mosquitoes won't matter as much. Yeah, they can bite, but it won't matter as much. At least we'll get we'll we'll be able to actually represent who Christ is. And this is not just conversation, but this is about action, you know, comprehensive action. Mm. So you know, I actually was talking to my um my family about this, but I I remember last year when as an example, like Nathan you know, before all this stuff, like, of course, like, black lives were being taken. And before this came to my knowledge, even, I mean, yeah, I knew about it, but I never really understood why is that happening? You know, because you never really, like, I never really cared to understand because I didn't really know. And if someone said it like this, like, you, everyone keeps categorizing it as isolated events. But well, when you, when isolated events keep on happening, it becomes a pattern. Yeah, And I think that's kind of where people have caught on that there's a pattern. This is not isolated. This is not just that criminal or that person who was pulled over or that person who, you know, but these are innocent people being taken as well because of the mm. color of their skin. So anyway, there was a point embarrassingly, but, and you know, I, I admit like it didn't, it wasn't really in my feed and it didn't really matter to me that much because it was not the problem I was trying to solve in front of me. And, um, I remember we, we were just recently talking and, um, we were talking about how, you know, last year, I remember Nathan, when he was in sixth grade, I think he, so he caught on to this whole social justice uh, racism early on, I think, mm-hmm. because pure at heart, like he's interested and he invested, he's invested in human, human um, justice. Yeah. I mean, apologetically more than me, you know, more than I was. And I remember he came home one day and he said, I think I got like some letter from the teacher saying that like my son didn't stand up for the flag. Like they were doing the, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag and we didn't stand up. And I think like several times of this happening, like I think it's called like an anecdotal. I got a letter from the teacher and I was just like, you know, and me, I'm just like, Nathan, you should stand out of respect. Like he's like, yeah, but I can't respect a country that is racist. And I was like, well, yeah, I know it's racist, but you still have to respect the country as a whole. Like that was kind of like my argument. But then having that conversation in hindsight, I was like, what really happened? And he, he was like telling me like, you know, I just said, I'm not going to stand up because I don't respect this country. And I think it was also because like, um, what's this, what a football player, Ka- Kaepernick? 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 Yeah. Kaepernick. He, he knelt down at the, the, um, at the football game yeah, and was that. penalized for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember. So like, yeah, having the conversation now, it's like a whole different conversation because I'm like, so what really happened? And I, he, he told me, yeah, I didn't want to get up. So I sat, sat, sat down and the teacher pulled me over and said, Nathan, what are you doing? And I told him, I'm not standing for a country that's racist. And then the teacher said, okay, well, I don't really know all the legality behind all of this, but I'm pretty sure you have to stand. 
And then I said, Nathan, what did you say? And he said, he said to a teacher, he was like, I know my rights. I know the law. I know my rights. I know my constitutional rights. I don't have to stand. Right. I have the freedom to not stand and mm -hmm. basically protest. And then, um, but it's a whole different conversation now because of the awareness of, yeah. I think. And I think that's kind of like what's, I don't think that's just me. I think people are starting to understand that better, you know, but I think in the same way we do that with the gospel, you know, like we kind of go, okay, like don't make such a big deal. Oh yeah. We have plenty of time. Like everything will be okay. You know, but we kind of miss the most important subject at hand and it gets ignored. And then, you know, so I think I applauded my son in that because he had the courage and the humility to not put himself forward, but to represent something that was greater than him in the moment yeah. where he could have been completely ostracized. And actually, as a result, he got ostracized from in many ways, like mm -hmm. as that kid, like, oh, that difficult kid. But at least, you know, part to him and also what he represented, like. He represented something that was greater than himself. But I want to explain humility in that way. Mm. Because I think oftentimes we look at humility as this nice thing of, you know, passivity. But actually humility is following the example of Christ. Yeah. So. That, that's <sighs> a really good picture for me. Because knowing who I was at Nathan's age, I would have definitely stood up. If, if a teacher like demanded that I stand up, you know, cause like, I think that's one of the ways that I would probably I, like knowing myself. It's like, I know that it's more in my comfort to like, not be courageous in that way. And so it's mm -hmm. like, I would probably, you know, defer to just some authority as a result of that, like to show that kind of boldness and courageousness knowing sort of like that there are consequences even to doing that and life may be uncomfortable afterwards as a as a matter of fact is is it is largely i guess i think that contrast for me is what is showing that difference of what it looks like to really stand up and be a steward of your values and beliefs as opposed to somebody that like just like i guess like does like just thinks about them or like you know might there's, agree with them, but yeah, agree with them. Yeah, right? but there's no like, like we were talking about, like the actionable component of that humility. There's like, there's like no action behind that belief, or like no yeah. show of that. Yeah, I'm with you because I think that's what Martin Luther King, he eloquently said it, but he said something along the lines of, it's those that know that it is wrong, but don't do anything, and the silence and the absence of that is what is keeping America in this state. So, mm -hmm. And I get it. I think that's why people are saying, rise up, say something, say something, do something, you know? And that's, and there is action being taken. But to know that, you know, going back to even the first point of the message that not even, you know, like almost perfect utopian system is not perfect because, well, if it consists of people and not 500 Christ, you know? If it consists of people mm. like you and me, well, by default, it will be a messed up system because systems are made of people, people who operate. 
And that's why, once again, 360, that's why we need the cross and the Christ is the equalizer. And I think for me, it really anchors back the need for the gospel in this world. The greatest and the only equalizer. It's mm. not equality of man. Like all these values actually come from the cross. People have yeah. it wrong and people took advantage with slavery, you know, because I don't know some of the reasons that why slavery existed as long as it did. It like it is sickening, but we do that in so many things when it is inconvenient to us. We don't really count how it is affecting others. Our absence and our silence affects others. And the gospel is really about eternal, eternal, um, eternity is at stake, but also the values of this world being shaken up and down because people are not really making it clear who Christ is mm. in our absence and silence and their divorce of our faith and ourselves. I think that is injustice to this cause of racism and to the world. And I think that's also where Christ is speaking to us to examine what are your actionable, um, what are the actionable changes, you know, or are you, are we continue to be a silent bystander, you know, yeah. we know better and that's good enough for us, or we know better. So we do better. Mm. Yeah. I mean, as we're having this conversation, you know, I've, I've always kind of known that I probably fall in that category of more of the bystanding. Um, and mostly I think that just kind of comes down to, uh, just how I've dealt with conflicts in general. Like I usually have mm -hmm. sort of this kind of detached stance from a lot of things like in involvement for me, just, I guess I almost treat it like it's not necessarily my problem um mm -hmm. right and so it's like that's where it, it kind of becomes a problem not because like i'm not owning that aspect of how i'm contributing to this issue which is what dr Samuel was saying like you know i think the whole first portion of the sermon is largely reflective about like how sometimes you don't really necessarily know or sometimes we're not aware or we do know the ways in which we are contributing to the problem but we're not necessarily doing anything about that and that is what comes in conflict with our gospel values at the end of the day, because mm -hmm. it's like the gospel was always a call to action, whether it's mission representation, right. Um, evangelism and things like that. And it's like to be aware and to not do right. It's like, it's like kind of mm -hmm. the commonplace issue that I think a lot of people in general, not even just believers, but I think people in general probably in light of this, like, I think that's sort of the awareness that was brought to me. It's that, like, having a stance of not mm -hmm. doing anything about it and, like, mm -hmm. whether it's because it doesn't really affect you or whether it's because this is not something you can solve or, like, reasoning or some kind of reasoning behind that is sort of, mm -hmm. like, what's being addressed and illuminated in this context for me. Yeah. You know, um, it reminds me when, um, in Revelations, Jesus says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, he writes, these are the words of the Amen to the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. 
I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I rebuke, I love, I rebuke, and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I think that's the call of the gospel. I think the gospel is always like the omission of, you know, of not obeying. Like silence is, it is like horrible. And we see that with this racial issue. Mm. You know, it's when people spoke up and rose up and said, this is not okay. When it was filmed, it was brought into the blindness. It really has a waking up factor. You know, mm. everybody knows murder is bad, but okay, why was that man murdered? That's not okay. It's when it was brought to our attention that we woke up yeah. from this. You know, I don't care. It doesn't really bother me. It doesn't really affect me. It's just another riot. But it woke up, woke us up, and it became personal. You know, mm -hmm. but I think that's that's the call of the gospel. Like Jesus is saying here, you are neither hot or cold. You're lukewarm. And I think most of the fault of Christian Christians and Christ followers is that we say we're Christians, but we're not actually following Christ. Mm -hmm. We're not really modeling Christ, you know. We're not really um, living for Christ. And that's really the examination um, of us at fault as Christ followers, but also in a place where we're kind of just, many people might be kind of like like walking around it, but not really embracing the equalizer the cross you know so or doing anything from it like there's no actionable change i think several weeks ago you know and there's nothing the unrest culturally doesn't change any of the gospel gospel is true yesterday today, and forever this has been the very motif motif of god redeeming humanity from sinfulness right through himself it's just in layers we see more and more how things are at not right but you know, a few weeks ago, it was about, there's so many worship experiences that don't mount to the work of the Spirit. So, which therefore means that it is not, the Spirit is not working in your life. You know, you might viscerally, viscerally be blessed by a worship experience, mm -hmm. by a praise session, but if nothing comes from that, well, then the Spirit of God is not at work in your life. It is the contrarian Spirit, mm -hmm. the Spirit of this world. The prince of this world, which is, which is led by the enemy himself. So it's, it's, um, it, in many ways, I think it's a wake up call to all of us, you know, mm -hmm. not, not to one cause or to another, but how can we rise up and do good at, if we are unaware that all of us have fallen short? and actually need grace and we stop sharing the gospel because we're always stopped at the tracks in fear of man and we end up being silent mm. and uh, complacent and as a result complicit right mm. so 
I think God is saying, you know, He's saying, examine, repent, turn to me, those who are neither hot or cold. I'd rather that you choose one than be in between in your absence and silence and comfort. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. This is a huge wake-up call, you know, because I think, um, and I can only really speak for myself in regards to this, but it's, I think, like, we don't, I didn't even really understand how much inaction speaks largely for mm-hmm. me i guess um mm-hmm. and it's like this is like has been a rather slow development that i see and even in regards to like owning the gospel and like trying to represent christ to others it's only what i would probably say is very recent development as as a, as in like it's only been maybe like the last five ish years out of my life that you know I'm trying to take action for the gospel and I'm trying to take action. And, you know, I guess like, I I love this series that we're on because, you know, a lot of it, you know, we touched on a lot of great points, like one in regards to like the responsibility to our call and the responsibility to the gospel, like our responsibility to mission, uh, how the Holy Spirit works with us in tandem and in uh, partnership with us in order to actualize these uh, calls that God has given us. And like all these things, I think kind of bring in awareness that like a lot of the times, like, you know, if we are to, it, like what I'm learning is that the things that I am now responsible for and I need to take action about are the things that are on the heart of God now. Right. And I think that's kind of like where I resonate a lot with the, what it looks like to emulate or resemble Christ like humility. And that way it's like we're, or I'm trying to like almost double down and adopt the things that are on God's heart because that is that like is almost like encompassing of what it means to even be Christ-like or even to represent values and like speak for injustices or to have our hearts break for the things that break God's heart and things like that. And that's kind of like what all of this kind of culminated for me as, as in regards to like our sermon series. And I guess like the, the pit, the, the pinnacle of all that being, uh, this racial unrest and, you know, racism that's being, um, you know, identified and seen in our culture today. It's like that's sort of like that tension that, that is being gripped and like, I, I guess really being, uh, scrutinized or seen for what it is, is that like, you know, if we are to, really be believers and followers of Christ is also to, you know, adopt the things that God cares about, right? And like taking action on those things. Yeah, because, you know, I'm sure this is a huge, huge reason, but even like racism, right? Why it's so left back and delayed in progress is because some people knew it was wrong, but did not speak up and did not act accordingly to what their beliefs about it were. But it also progressed because people who understood that it was wrong went against culture, went against conformity, mm. and spoke up and did, did something. Right. So I think that is the only way that real transformation or change or sharing of something good happens. You know, or doesn't happen. Mm. I mean, like even bring it close to home. It's it's kids are traumatized whose parents never showed them affection. 
right? Mm. Who were silent parents because it's hard to say I love you. It's hard. It's cultural. Well, you should know how I feel and never really took the role to be an affectionate mom and dad or to be present. Those are the issues of fatherless, fatherlessness that is another whole set of, you know, brokenness and humanity, right? So I think humility is not silence. Humility is really speaking up and living up to the standard of God's heart for the world. So I think just reiterating, you know, the point from several weeks, or I think it was, it was last week, I think about what humility is, that it is not piety. It is not holding your hands up high and praying earnest sounding prayers, but it is actually living an earnest life, repenting towards the things that are short of God's standard for God's people, for the people of God, and actually doing something about that because that is God's heart, you know? Mm. So I guess like an applicational question that I would ask is, you know, I think that many times when we listen to things like podcasts, you know, to grow or even approach things because we want to grow. I think a lot of times we try to take away things that might make sense to us. But I think we're being called on by God to think outside of what normally would be our application. You know, it is the areas where we have not realized that are not living up to the standard of God's heart for God's people, you know? And so the question is in the gospel, like how, where's the cross? It's not about, you know, this podcast is so encouraging. It helps me live another day. No, that's, that's great if it does, but that is a benefit. I guess it's like a beneficiary aspect of this podcast because yeah where believers are gathered it's encouraging to speak of matters that are at hand it's encouraging um numbers is encouraging Mm -hmm. but really the application is how where is the cross and how is the cross playing a role in your life like where is it if you can't identify it even as a christ follower i think that's where we need to start why is the cross so far away like why is it not even in my in my um in my thoughts in my heart like Mm. i don't recognize with it i did once when i became a christian but like how does that affect me now you know is it about my growing in my resiliency in life is it about me building my grit as a christian in this god forsaken world like i think a lot of times we come up with application that is not necessarily spirit-led but cathartic and this is not Mm. like you know, like a judgment to people saying like, oh, you're not, you're not getting it right. But this is actually just biblical to come to terms with what God is saying and not anecdotal and things that we, and to terms of with what we would like and kind of do the same circling thing where we don't really see actionable change of God's humility. But if we're really talking about modeling Christ's humility, it's really about really allowing the spirit to search our hearts and where he stands in our lives Mm. as the greatest equalizer and knowing where is the gospel 
It's not supposed to help you in your subjects, really. It might benefit you in your studies, in your greater goal in life, but really, ultimately, it is about where is a cross? Like, what does a cross even mean to you at this point in life, in this point in stage of life? So I think, I don't know if I really clarified that, but I wanted to kind of just broadly like do a brush brush joke of you know what does a Christ mean for you is it really the equalizer is it are, are, do you do you and I really recognize that we've been saved by grace and we're sinners um saved by grace being called to restore beauty in all things like where are you in that mm. of making Christ's name Good. You know, like when we model Christ, it's not, we don't model it for the sake of just modeling it. We model it so that the world can see Christ in us. And it could only be seen in us if we do it in Christ, in recognition of who we are in him. But also we have to realize who we are apart from him. I think that's also important too. Hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, Forgive me if I'm a little bit more silent today, but I'm just taking it all in because, you know, I think that you raise a really, really important question because, you know, in regards to our, like, conversation just just a little bit ago, like, 15 minutes ago, about, like, the bystander apathy, right? It's like, we know that the Holy Spirit is working because there is a certain call to action, but I think you're kind of, I think you're absolutely right. Like, there is not really much of an urgency to inquire about like i guess what work of the spirit is really going on in our lives to bring about this formation so that we can be transformed and be people that could really change the world or like change people's lives or change our life like you know like th- these are all very actionable things like things that we could take part in and things that we we can be involved in but like we I think you're kind of touching on something that's pretty important in in the fact that like a lot of us or many of us could just be kind of overlooking this and kind of just going by this very important thing, I think, which is like kind of alludes to what I was talking about with myself. It's kind of like I knew that there was an issue, but I didn't necessarily involve myself with it because there was no like real urgency behind it. Right. But I think this this calls for like a really important and close examination of our hearts to really know like if we are if we knowing that god called us to a very specific purpose in our lives like and that calling is not met with a certain level of urgency then it's kind of like there is definitely like a mismatch there right and that's that's sort of what Mm -hmm. we're identifying with this practical question yeah, you know, as Christians, we're not called to, uh, for, you know, social justice to cry out Black Lives Matter and to hate everyone else who is not on board. But while making Black Lives Matter at the forefront so that people understand why Black Lives Matter matters so much, because that means all lives don't matter if, unless Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Um while understanding that and expressing that because that it's been like so deprived of its, you know, 
of being honored, right? So, or even just bringing it into existence that actually this is like, I don't know, what did the comedian say? Like, where they're just asking for, what did he say? Like, do you, do you know what I'm talking uh, yeah, about? Yeah, I know, I know the comedian. It's Michael Che. Uh, he has a bit on Black Lives Matters, and he's kind of like, what's below matters? Is it like just exists? Like, right. Right. Like, what? Exactly. That's yeah. We're starting the negotiations. There's a great bit. I, I love that bit. Yeah, I definitely have to rewatch that. But yeah, it's like, it's absurd to even assert, right? Because it's so basic. But, mm. well, the basic is kind of like what's been missed, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, as a as an op- application, like, okay, so there's a social justice problem of um, the fact that Black Lives Matter is not really has not been happening so should i hate all cops should i hate Mm. all people who are not on board with that well actually then you come back to the cross like the equalizer like okay um you come back to god's standard for all people and this is the thing this is where it transcends even political right and it has nothing to do with all lives matter but the truth is i have friends that believe in Black Lives Matter. And I have friends that I don't agree with, with everything they believe, but also need Christ who say, who are worried about their husbands not coming home safely Mm. because of what's happening. So how do we live in that tension of God's standard of love for all, right? Like while participating in the cause at the forefront how do we love everyone like how do we love one another all our neighbors mm. and the thing is that's kind of like the thing i think a lot of times you know we feel like the call to something good has to be polarizing but actually there's a great tension of the fact that jesus died for that robber yeah who did not deserve and that robber represents all of us who don't deserve the grace of God. And actually I stand in the tension of loving and praying or supporting my friend in the love of Christ. Not necessarily, she knows where I stand that I believe black lives matter and she doesn't agree with that, but her concern for her husband, well, maybe that concern for her husband not returning home. I, would actually help her realize what the cause actually is that, Mm. you know, black brothers and sisters actually fear that people might not come home safely or make it home because they might be murdered or pulled, pulled over. But the tension is to be equalized in that we exemplify and model the humility of Christ in the world. (laughs) And that's, you know, it's a lot easier to be polarizing and to say, well, you know what, forget you. (laughs) We could say that, but, you know, we have to come to the equalizer. The truth is Christ died for all, all Mm. sinners. Christ died for us while we're still sinners. God, you know, sent his son and um, to save the world. So I think that's the distinction of um, following Christ and not becoming this tribal polarization of everything. You know what I mean? And that's what it means to really rise up and to not be a tribal, like a tribalized thinker is kind of like you believe what you're told and you believe 
But we need Christians that will rise out of that and will actually follow Christ and not just like the parts of selectivity, the things that are nice or comfortable, you know, as Christians, but we're actually called to love our enemies as well. And so, um, and if you really think about it, that's also what Martin Luther King um stood for as well he wasn't hating on those who didn't understand or who hated Mm. but he actually his cause was to bring light into the darkness to Mm. bring love into the hate he said it himself hate doesn't drive out hate only love does and that's true that's biblical so there is hate i know there's a huge saying like to say don't hate means is a gaslighting statement because what we are really saying is that we're angry. Yeah, no, I don't think he would disagree with that. But it's just that ultimately, he his goal was not to bring hate, but he wanted to bring hate mm. on what is causing the hate and light and love into the hate. And so, yeah, I think that Christ wants us to sit in the tension of even being equalized in the on the cross by the cross of Jesus Christ and what he really died for is all of our sins. So, and to redeem the sinfulness of us and to become our friend, you know, and when we're sinners, that's outrageous, but he does. Mm. And so it's a call for all of us to really come to the father Mm. and to not really exclude, you know what I mean? I think that distinction has to be made because a lot of times we could be like, well, you don't believe in what I believe, so I hate you. Mm. Well, you know, forget you. And I think that we'll see that, you know, I think virtually seeing protests and all these things, like it could seem like one way, one thing. But I know that there are Christ followers who are speaking up and also living, protesting and um, acting according to the love of God. Like it is not just with you know, it is not just with anger yeah. and hate against the sin, but it is with anger, hate against the sin, but really full of love because the world, which is made up of people, falls short of God's standard for the people of God. So for people created in his image. Mm. So oh, that's a mouthful, but <laughs> I think I think that's the times we're in yeah. where we have to kind of explain things that are basic and obvious because it got missed. Gospel gets easily missed. Mm. Christ gets easily missed. But also the racial tension and the whole issue of white privilege and, you know, Black Lives Matter. Why people are saying it so much is because it's missed. It's not really understood, you know. Mm. And even when it's understood, people hate it because it doesn't fit their agenda. And people don't really want to live in the tension of where it's not fully comfortable to ingest for self-interest, you know, but I think God is calling us to rise up out of the tribalism, the tribal Christianity of self-culture Christianity, but to really become Christ followers. And that's what it means once again, to model the humility of Christ, because I just want to say this, like, you know, in John 10, Jesus has uh, an encounter with the Pharisees and basically the Pharisees are calling him out. Pharisees who are the religious leaders at the time 
um, who knew the Bible, as you would say, the Torah really well. Jewish leaders knew it really well. So by the signs that Jesus has performed, by the sign of, and also by his words and by his presence, because they actually encountered him, they would, you would think they would recognize him or acknowledge him as Messiah because he fit all of those things, criteria of what the Messiah would be like. But they completely miss him. And Jesus says to them, my sheep know my voice. And they are my sheep because they follow me. And towards the end, like, you know, in his conversation with the religious leaders, the religious leaders are like, oh, you know, you're blasphemous. What are you doing? You know, and Jesus calls them out. Well, you would really know. Actually, you're blaspheming because you would really know because you would recognize by what you've been studying all your lives. Right. Mm -hmm. But then he calls to them and says, so repent and understand what you see and what you have heard, what you have known, understand. And um, he he says, repent. So it's a tension, you know, it's like it's a tension. But I think that, you know, all my life as a kid, I've tried to avoid attention. And I thought that the work of the spirit means comfort. Because comfort means peace. And that's very tribalized thinking. And it's it's immature thinking, basically. I think it's like the mm. first level of thinking about things. You kind of think everything in black and white. But mm. I realized that living in, for Christ is actually nothing but tension. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, <laughs> it's anything but comfort. Yeah, yeah. It's really not for the faint-hearted because to follow Christ means to literally lay down and say, I own my life. I own my life. I own my decisions because I'm going to be countercultural and follow Christ. That means that I'm going to go against my parents. I'm going to go against authority figures in this country, in this world, and I will be not popular, but I will represent and I will follow him. And that's what Jesus says. My sh my sheep know my voice mm. and they follow me because they are my sheep. So we're identified through actionable modeling of humility. Not by understanding it, but act by actual modeling of humility, which equates as actually following Christ. And that's how we know we are, we belong to him because we follow him. Right. So, yeah. I mean, these were my reflections as it was heavy on me when I heard the message in light of everything that's happening hmm. of what God is saying in these times. But, and it was actually a rebuke to myself as well. You know? Hmm. So. This is my examination of my own heart too, like examining like, why do I pay attention to so much of that, all that noise and the clamor outside and kind of miss the point, you know? Mm. And I think that we can't, <laughs> it's kind of like you try to line up, what is it? The ducks in a row? Yeah, line up all your ducks. Yeah, but, and then you kind of, the day goes by and you're like, what have I done? And then you do it again. But I don't want to live my life that way. I want to actually matter for Christ. Not because of me, but individually, I want Christ to be known in this world in my lifetime. Yeah. yeah. And that's a call for all of us to no longer be lukewarm, but to choose out of our own volition to follow Christ 
to not conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. See, it's all in how we think mm. by the word of God. It's our mind that transforms by the truth. You know, I actually, um, Joe, I actually did a little, little mini research on conspiracy theories. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. I don't know, just kind of, uh, I guess, led there uh -huh. by interest and curiosity, but I actually did like a little study on why some people believe in conspiracies mm -hmm. and what was like a like just a genuine curiosity actually really intrigued me and answered some of my questions yeah. um the psychology behind why some people don't let go of their conspira conspiracies while others rely on truth mm -hmm. you know and um and ultimately it comes down to three things like i think i can't remember the third one i keep forgetting them again but one yeah it's led by curiosity and genuine desire for knowledge yeah but it arrives at a weird place where they say there's always that you know it's just a term but like there's uncle joe like not because you're joe oh. but you know <laughs> but you know some people kind of know by science no that's not true that's ridiculous and they shake it off right but there's always that uncle joe in a family mm. where they just believe all sorts of weird things and it's like anecdotal in so many ways it's like no proof no research but why they stick to it and why it's so hard to change people's minds about that when there's in that conspiracy is because actually of insecurity. Oh. And there are enough people that whether on their internet or some kind of community that believes what they do. So it secures their acceptance right, like in society. Yeah. So when people are being shaken up in their comfort to believe independently by truth, right? Mm -hmm. By really deciphering and discerning what is true, right? Mm -hmm. What you're really fighting against to convince them is not even whether something is true or not, but it's actually a lot deeper. It has to do with acceptance and their standing yeah. in the community. And yeah. I was just thinking about that because in many ways I see that pattern in the religious leaders, you know, like they saw Christ and they saw the facts. They saw the um, yeah. proof yeah. that he is the Messiah, but they didn't want to admit it. Right. They'd rather believe that he didn't come yet because their idea of Messiah was something else. Right. It didn't fit their self-interest of acceptance and how much they would matter in society because they would literally for them to accept that he was messiah and to recognize it or to acknowledge him they would literally have to give up their power in society mm -hmm. and say you are the messiah you lead us you know mm -hmm. but um why i guess i brought up the whole conspiracy theory is because it takes it because it's so emotively we tend to fall into our motive and default. And though conspiracy theories are kind of an extreme example because, you know, just because you're comfortable and not really modeling the humility of Christ or actionable change, it doesn't mean that you're actually believing in conspiracy theory by comfort or security or acceptance. But in many ways, it is that similar part of us that doesn't want to live in that tension right. of recognizing that this life 
is not supposed to be lukewarm and coasting, but actually we're supposed to matter for Christ. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to make his name known, which means actionable change means there's risk, but it's like risk reward, risk versus reward. Right. Yeah. The reward of making known and living in that tension is eternal and transcends everything in this world. And I think that's, in my, in my heart, that's, I feel like that's what Christ is saying that he's trying to reveal to us that ignorance is not bliss. That comfort is not success. That comfort is not what our purpose is, but there's more that we're meant to represent to follow Christ. I think like some of the things that immediately kind of crossed my mind when, you know, we're talking about, you know, risking everything for the cross and, you know, being called to this action, it's like, man, so it's scary. And I think I was having this conversation with some of my friends earlier also. It's kind of like for some of us and a lot, maybe even a lot of us, like it's kind of hard to want to change, right? Or like for your life mm-hmm. to like s- suddenly become uncomfortable um because you know because of like something that has happened or some kind of recognition of the truth or um uh, some kind of problem that needs to be addressed in this world like there are some things that kind of disrupt our comfort and our status quo and you know i think a lot of the human propensity is to like shy away from those things that make us uncomfortable and causes that tension right and that's why we kind of you know either like I guess in terms of flight or fight responses kind of we have to flee from these kinds of things or we don't really undergo mm-hmm. the stress or like the I guess the discomfort that these things pose to us but at the end of the day for us to even remotely change or even to like at a certain degree transform is to really engage with that tension and with that discomfort and I guess these realizations that I guess about, and like, I guess just like even admitting that the way in which that we might see the world or the way in which we might view certain things are are completely wrong. And, you know, those kinds of things need to be rectified in order for us to even begin to take on something as monumental as like the call to action that God poses. And I guess it's like these kinds of questions and this conversation that we're having leads us to, or leads me to you know, really think about those kinds of things because it's like, obviously, or maybe it's not obvious, but like to me, it's important that, you know, I, that my life changes in the way that it resembles a life radically impacted by the love of Christ and the love of God. But sometimes it's, you know, our, it's, it seems like the resistance to that is sort of that shying away from that taking on that responsibility and the weight of all that right but that's like the importance of these things that we're talking about is that it calls into question the very i guess i guess the very cowardice and also the call to courage in these areas and also like it it checks us it checks our hearts to see if like to see whether or not like this is this is like where the spirit is working in us for this you know, this life change. Mm -hmm. And I believe that, I believe that God is not condemning anyone because he does not, but I believe that God is working 
in these areas to really bring um, people closer to him, people who are seekers, to know that this is who God is. Like, you really want to be liberated? This is liberty. This is true freedom, right? You think that you live in a world that focuses on, you know, uniqueness and individualization, but you realize that really it's a world of conformity and that there is a, it's a system that tells you to be this or that. And you're constantly fighting against different voices to not be that, to become something else. But really the voice of uniqueness really is the father because he is the one who created us, right? So for seekers to come closer to God, the maker, and to be, um, to be redeemed and recreated for his purpose is, is wild and beautiful. And God, I believe God is doing that. He's drawing people, but also he is working on people of these places. You know, God is so patient in that for us to come to recognition that there is shame and fear and self-preservation that we have not admitted to. Those are the places where Christ is working through his spirit mm. to push us, to encourage us, to speak to us, to understand. I think it was in um, a few weeks ago in the message that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he stayed with people for 40 days, which is more than a month, so that they could understand, right? So he's very patient in helping us understand and teaching us and leading us to become a person of greater courage to really live an exceptional life because of the life that it exemplified Christ. Like he is at work and he's calling us out from our shyness and our fear and our shame to represent him. So I believe that God is working, but I think it is our our job, our response to respond and move with him. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I guess like the motif is really that Christ is calling us out into um, our purpose, which really isn't to succeed yeah. or to be resilient in this life, but to represent him. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, it's not, uh, uh, like, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's anything new per se, but you know, every time we do have conversations along these lines, it's, pretty eye-opening i think because it's kind of like i guess i don't really pay attention to how much like it's i or like i guess a better way to phrase this is that it's not often that i i am paying attention to the things in my life that are like almost drawing me closer to like change or like like i guess like Mm. beckoning you towards that direction but it's like it's when mm-hmm. we have these conversations or when, you know, the church or our communities like and outside of the ecclesia, like just communities in general mm-hmm. are having these conversations that are like opening hearts and minds and eyes to sort of like the things that are going on around us, even though like, you know, I haven't really been paying much attention to it. It's like when we're brought focus to that and awareness to that, just how much, you know, there is to do or like how much there is for us to be a part of and like just i guess how how uh uh like the magnitude by which we have been trusted with this call 
right? Mm-hmm. And like, I think this is like what what I needed to hear. I mean, I think just in my own reflections in regards to the entire George Floyd issue and, you know, I guess the social issues that are going on around us is kind of like hard for me clearly to like pick my head up and see what it is that's going around within me or around me. But it's like, it's through these conversations. It's through, you know, bringing an awareness to what God is doing in our hearts and how God is shaping us that we can really like align ourselves in that direction once again. Right. Cause like, I think if, and when we do get lost, like this is just kind of the ways in which that we're reminded of the importance and the beauty of the gospel. Right. Cause it's like, if, if we're not engaging with this important matter on a, re- like on a regular basis or even on a daily basis, right. For a lot of us that are trying to um, live in fullness with the Holy spirit, Right, like then, then we're missing a lot of it if we're not, if our attention is not being brought to this area in which God is working. Yeah, bringing it back to the cross, yeah. the greatest, the only equalizer. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, like I don't know, I don't know how you prepare <laughs> to end this, but you know, like I guess. One of the things that I guess was on my mind in regards to, you know, in regards to this sermon and what's going on in this conversation, right? I think like Dr. Sammy opened up the sermon about how the church can bring healing into our communities Mm. and such like that. And I guess I wanted to ask you a little bit about what that might look like in your point of view, given that we've had this conversation and given your reflections, like what does a healing community look like and what does reconciliation look like, you know, for a lot of us that are maybe just starting to wake up to the, I guess, cries of culture and the needs of uh, the people around us and like maybe even the cries of what's on God's heart. Like, I guess, how can we be a part of this ministry of reconciliation and uh, to be like a community of healing? Mm. You know, there's something that comes to mind and is something that I've been reading from friends with, um, you know, wives and husbands or couples that are African-American. And I think this goes for all application of the gospel is that, and I'll kind of explain it, but I think the Answering your question, I think we can become a people of that actually bring God's healing by becoming, and this is just repeating the podcast, but I guess using the word courage, you said the word courage too. I think if we can become courageous people and not cowards, Mm -hmm. if we can become courageous people, um, courageous Christ followers, I think that it will bring healing and not damage. Like, at you know, it, at its beginning point anyway, that it would bring less damage and perhaps healing, begin healing process. Because, you know, for example, I, be, I believe um, I read from, you know, various friends that 
when these riots were happening, people, you know, they blatantly said it, but they said that, you know, like, for example, like, um, a friend of ours, she's African American and she goes back to work and there's this tension and she feels like the elephant in the room and she often felt the pressure to kind of be like, oh yeah, I know it's going on, but you know what? I'll be okay. Kind of in a place where she's comforting the non-black people in the room because of what's happening because there's such tension, you know? But I think instead of that, like really just um as being, I guess this is just one example, but like to, to courageously talk about things that are difficult and to stand with people and mm-hmm. to comfort them and mm-hmm. to let them know like, hey, I'm willing to, um, I'm willing to, you know, like, stand with you like it doesn't have to be okay this is difficult like you know that it takes courage i think to go against conformity of comfort and tranquility in a room to actually stand with what's important so to not be a bystander to be courageous to support our you know african brothers and sisters right Mm. i think that's an example but also being a courageous christ follower And that we don't become lukewarm, omissive people, if that's a word, but we actually courageously live out our values, overcome temptation, um, practice um, and exemplify Christ-like values and really follow him, I think. I think we can become that if we are courageous and really courage really means full of heart because heartless is really what created all this mess, right? It's, Mm -hmm. we don't think of others, but I think that if we could be courageous, we could be more present and we could comfort, we could bring healing. Um, I mean, that's like a very, you know, I'm not going to like politically correct say, well, that won't bring healing, but God says that that will bring healing. Mm -hmm. When we actually follow him, that we will become agents of change. I'm not saying that, that, oh, I will bring healing. No. And the audacity of me saying that. But I think there's a lot of culture saying that, like, oh, how dare you say that? You could just be, just stand by them. But this, I'm not speaking socially, psychologically. I'm just saying what the Bible says, that change will come when we represent Christ. That that is the only way to represent God's love. And it takes courage. Mm. To speak up for injustice, that takes courage. Yeah. To fear not for the Lord is with us and to go. I mean, I think Joshua, before he um, circled the walls of Jericho, he needed courage. That's what God tells him. Mm. Fear not. Don't be afraid. I am with you. And that courage, that knowing that God, he represents God and that God is with him, that he can do the impossible, mm. I think it is assumed that that is how change comes about. So we could only become agents of that, using our agency in this world of our own volition. It's the least that we could do, (laughs) but it is really all that God requires Mm -hmm. of us to be courageous and to not live in omission, you know, to not do anything. No, to not do nothing. But yeah. Yeah. Definitely going to have to 
reflect on those words also because uh you know i think courage it's hard to come by but i know that to my understanding i know that the holy spirit fills us with courage and i think like it's in these times also that you know i'm led to call on that invocation of courage in some way because i think you know i i you know i was texting dr samuel a little bit yesterday because i was a little bit blown away by the Leighton ford article that or like mm-hmm. yeah that mm-hmm. you know the words that he said almost 50 years ago and how it's mm-hmm. in its application just like how almost accurate it is 50 years later mm-hmm. in minneapolis from the place like where he had spoken or like where dr sam derived that quote like it was spoken in minneapolis and george floyd's that you know like all these things like just goes to show that i think like you know one of the things that i was talking about with dr sammy was you know i think it's like 50 looking back 50 years from now right like i want to be mm. able to say that we changed the world like mm. we added value to this world and i had to think a lot about that you know because sometimes it's like a lot of the bystander apathy and the omission sometimes even begins for me with that because of that feeling that like oh like i can't change the world like what who am i mm. to try and create change or who am i to influence mm. some kind of change it's like if i'm not going to be a part if i can't do anything to change anything why even try or even be involved in anything right and that's like i think my general attitude usually you know without the redemption of christ but you know knowing that i I can be, you know, like we can join in on changing the world together, right? Like that, like that very idea, along with how we can be courageous as believers and followers of Christ, you know, just kind of go hand in hand for me. You know, these are the two things that, you know, I'm going to be reflecting on, right? Because I think that's ultimately the heart of, you know, these times for me um, and the ways in which God is, you know, really examining my heart in this way, right? Like, I want to change. I want to have the courage to also change Mm -hmm. the world, right? Like, I think, Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's a beautiful thing to think about. Yes, that sounds, yes, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you wanted to address or um, any closing remarks? I actually would like to pray and close if, um, just a short prayer. Father, we come to you, Lord. We turn to you, Lord. Father, those words are so, um, so amazing that we can turn to you, Father. So we turn to you right now. Lord, I know that you are calling people closer to you, people that are seeking you and really seeking and researching who you truly are, God. What is it that you're like? Um, I know that you're drawing people close to you, God, and also you're calling believers um, sleepy and awake to be awakened, Lord, to an actionable life that actually represents you, to not impiously be humble by um, in self-denial in that way, but to fully embrace the call to follow you by denying ourselves and carrying the cross to courageously live to follow you, Christ. So we want to pray, Father, in the midst of the pandemic, of everything going on, 
We pray, Lord, that Holy Spirit, that you would breathe your life upon us, Lord, to lead us, Lord, to really be agents of change. Lord, really the fact that we have agency, Lord, to act and to, to make decisions, Lord, in our own volition to go against conformity of the voice of the authorities of this world, but to really make you the very authoring and authority of our lives to submit to you, God. We know that you are already leading us, Lord, because you have given us the right as sons and daughters, Father, to take authority and to represent change by following and representing who you are. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to orchestrate as that song that we usually sing, we often sing at our church, Holy Spirit, come and change my life so that I may follow you, so that I may live my life for you. Holy Spirit, come and change my heart that I may live my life for you. So we pray for the two cries, Lord, that really um, lead us to our destiny of really obeying you, God. It is not about our greatness, but it's about your fame and your greatness, Lord. So we pray that in the midst of this pandemic that you would be known in homes and hearts and culture, that you would be um, represented and ultimately, Father, that who you are in your love and your vastness, Lord, would minister healing to hearts that have been broken and to these people, Lord, that have been often um, dismissed and really cut off in so many different ways, Lord, every day to not matter. But Lord, we declare, God, that you have a plan, Lord, to restore beauty in all things, Lord. And we pray that that we would not waste this opportunity, but Lord, that this, the next 50 years would really show not the same problem that is left back and delayed, but Lord, that the agents of change would rise up. And Lord, that those systems may not be perfect, but that we, because we turn to you, the greatest equalizer, which is the cross of Jesus Christ, to live as sinners saved by grace each day from glory to glory, God, that things would change and that we would be tackling other things together, Lord, as a result, Lord, no matter what the race, what the status and class, whatever it is, Lord, none of that matters at the cross. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe your living life, Lord, and breath into this community and to all that are listening, Lord, to align us to authentic community of that changes, Lord, the things that are on your heart. So we pray for all these things, Lord, and for all people listening, Lord, keep them and safely, you know, take them through this pandemic, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for this conversation, Pastor Lydia. I think um it's much needed to hear from you, for well, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people as well um, during these times. And, you know, I'm very grateful to be having these eye-opening conversations with you. Thank you, Joe, and always for your honesty and also your okay. input. And everything. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you all next week, and God bless. Bye. Bye. Show me how much you love you.
ask, Holy Spirit, that you would examine our hearts, that you would search us, O God. And if there's any offensive way in us, would you lead us, Lord, into the way everlasting? To love others, God, and to care and to value others, Lord, and to value us. In Jesus' name, amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in each of these men, this wonderful woman here. Fill us, overflow us. There's more than enough for the whole world. So Lord, don't let us keep it. Let us be filled with it. Let it flow from us. Grace, love, and peace. Through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and evermore. And let's all say, Amen. Amen. Uh, hey guys, good afternoon. This is Pastor Billy here, aka Pandemic Peeps. And you can tell by the length of my beard that is actually going on. Um, and some of you guys might be wondering, uh, why, if, uh, why am I growing up my beard? Well, I was thinking when we meet up, that's when I'll shave it off. But I'm actually looking forward to the day where we could actually meet together. Uh, aside from that, let's just start with some community news. So first things first, tithes and offerings. I just want to say I want to thank you guys for just being faithful. Uh, but the fact that you guys are giving and trusting uh, with, your, with your money to 180 has just been an incredible blessing. This includes people that are that have donated to 180 Cares. Through your giving and your generosity, we actually received over 40 orders. So we delivered over 40 care packages. Um, and that's been delivered all across the world from places to New York locally to around the world in China. We've been getting an incredible response of people that have been so appreciative of this small gesture. In fact, uh, just this past month of going to the post office every week delivering these care packages, I befriended one of the, the clerks there. We actually had a conversation about faith because of it, because he was actually wondering uh, what these packages were about, who we are as a church, and why we've been giving this out. Um, someone has been really blessed by that, and we actually gave him a care package as well. And so this is what's going on because of your do donations, your generosity, um, and your care. And we're actually continuing to expand this, um, and actually we're gonna be giving and providing care packages to actually pastors who might be struggling and in need of encouragement during this time. And so it's in its preliminary stages, but we are actually providing care packages to at least 30 pastors that we know. We want to use that as a means of blessing. So uh, we will update you with that and what that actually looks like. But all in all, we just want to thank you once again for your faithfulness. Uh, you're giving and that's what's actually happening and so uh, uh, just a quick reminder uh, for those who are members in our church or those who actually want to give um, there are many ways to uh, give and one of them is through Venmo uh, which you could give at uh, at church 180 you could have it on chase quick pay at Enzel at offering at oneinchurch.tv and paypal at www.180church.tv Next on the list is our Bible reading group, and it's 
a great resource to actually start and anchor your day with God, especially during this time where there are moments where we had difficulty finding hope or just trudging along the day. Anchoring and being reminded that God is there with us, um, God is there for us, and He's here even in the midst of everything that's going on um, is a great resource to actually remember that He is there. So please follow us on our Tumblr or our Instagram page. Our handle is 180churchbrg. Uh, next on is the prayer text hotline. We know that, again, during this time, there are so many things that are going on, uh, so many surprises. And if there are times where you find yourself in a difficult situation, please do not hesitate to use this resource uh, to ask and request for prayer. We have a prayer team for you guys to pray with you um, and to support you in whatever situation or difficult situation you might find yourself in or someone that might be in need. So please do not hesitate to text us at 5397-PRAYER. Next to small groups, uh, we are continuing small groups remotely uh, throughout this time. And I know with all this Zoom exhaustion or video exhaustion that's going on, I just want to continue to encourage you guys to meet up one another. Uh, Hebrews 10 says to not give up meeting with one another uh, be, and encourage one another and support one another in this time. And it's the same here. I know a lot of times it might be, seem difficult or it might seem arbitrary, but you'll be surprised what it means to just actually keep in touch with one another throughout the week, supporting one another and praying for one another in this process. And it actually helps us remember what day it is. So if you are not part of a small group, we welcome you to one of our groups. Uh, we have it every day of the week. Um, we have it on Wednesdays. We have it on Thursdays at 7.30. And for college students, we have it on Fridays at 7.30. So finally, we want to invite you to all our social media outlets. Clearly, we are social media savvy from all the lists that you see here, from Facebook to YouTube to podcast. And I just want to encourage you guys to actually follow along because there's so much rich resources that could actually bless you. From insightful articles uh, through Dr. Sammy that he has written, um, especially from Christianity Today, uh, to insightful, thoughtful discussions on the podcast with Pastor Lydia and Joe Lou. In addition to this, uh, we, have, we have a new addition, which is our SoundCloud. And it's a worship playlist of all the things that Pastor Lydia has played throughout this pandemic. So if you've been blessed by any song throughout this time, you'll see it there. Use it as a way to connect with God, to remember that God is with you, and to be blessed by Him and to bless others through this situation that's going on. Everything is there to help all of us endure and be reminded about our God's faithfulness and work in our lives. So please like, subscribe, and follow all these things. And so these are all the announcements for today. Um, hopefully you'll have a great week and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys soon. Thank you. Because I have a dream that my poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor, 
having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today.